I'm going to be reading from Matthew 6, 24 through 34. It's in the bulletin. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't it more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They do not work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that they are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So do not worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow already has its own worries. Today's trouble enough for today. Falcon fans? Do we have any Falcon fans in the house? One, two. <laughs> Only today. Why? Because we're playing the Patriots? Patriot fans? Two. Booyah. Yeah, my man. Yes, sir. I know, right? <laughs> exactly. They just love to hate the best. Ay, ay, ay. Everybody good? All right. Everybody had a good week? For the most part? All right. Thank you so much, Sierra, for reading that for me. Beautifully read. Yeah, good job. Good job out of you. Good job out of you. All righty. I, I want us to start a new series today, and we're calling it Revision. Okay, capturing the heart of God for a great awakening. Now, when we hear, or when, when we hear the words awakening, what comes to mind? This is not a rhetorical question. All right. Getting up, awakening. Okay. <laughs> Getting up, staying up. Somebody else? Getting up, staying up. Baptist section. Oh, sorry. Uh, over here. Anybody? Awakened about something. The big thing right now is, are you woke? You know? People are saying, man, you're woke. I'm like, what the heck? What kind of English is that? Right? Anybody else awakening? Anybody awoke? <laughs> huh? Understanding? Wake up from sleep. All right. All those, by the way, there are no wrong answers. Okay? There are no wrong answers. We're in church. Okay? We just give that as, as a blanket statement there. But... I want to introduce you today to one concept I think has been missing in the body of Christ. And we have taken our eye off the ball. And as a result, the, the church has gone into 
basically spiritual slumber, especially here in the United States. When you look around the world and what is happening and how the church is expanding, you'll be amazed. And it doesn't matter what denomination you talk about. And by denomination, we just mean mother body of the church. Um, for example, the Salvation Army in Africa is going, growing by leaps and bounds. Their biggest church is in Nairobi, Kenya, which has over a thousand, no, almost 2,000 people now. The Assemblies of God in Kenya alone is aiming to plant 3,000 churches because there is such a hunger for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, so we have these amazing things. And even here in the United States, last year when Pew Research did a research on the denominations or mother bodies that are growing, the Assemblies of God was actually one of them that grew. We planted over 300 churches last year alone here in the United States. Again, this is not about building a bigger house, having a, this is not a franchise, right? This is about having churches and places where people can access the gospel of Jesus. But I believe that there is something bigger and greater that God wants to do. All right. Last week I told you that one of the things that we can do and we should do is learn to read the signs of the times and know what God wants us to do. That is extremely, extremely important. Okay. So we are living in a season today that is that requires us as children of God to change our thinking and really go back to the basics of what it means to be a community of followers of Jesus. All right? Community of followers of Jesus. And so I just want to touch on that today and go from there. Is that okay? Amen. All right. I'm going to say some controversial things, and I say them deliberately. Okay? They're not off the cuff. I say them deliberately because I want to provoke you. Is that okay? Amen. And by the end of this, you all just have to love me and hug me. And all right, praise God. But as we have been praying for the last, for me and my wife for the last year, concerning not just this church, but concerning God's work in America, concerning this nation and what God wants to do, we have actually been getting, you know, promptings from God, you know, like that is the direction. And it was actually cool on Friday, we had uh, a prophetic word that came and confirmed exactly what God has been speaking to our hearts. It was so amazing and it was just like so on point. I was so encouraged by that and it just emboldened me, okay, to, to do what God has called me to do. And so I want to talk about the anatomy of a spiritual awakening, and then I want to go into the bulletin that you have today. By the way, we don't do this just to look cool, all right? We do this so that you can take notes and take it home and read over it, ask questions. The last thing I want is people to take everything I say at face value. If you don't wrestle with truth, if you don't wrestle with what I say, and that is not good. Okay, you should be able to question, ask me, come and debate me. I love debating. Okay, I just love that. All right, and at the end of the day, we're going to learn from each other. And sometimes, guess what? I'm wrong. Newsflash, ta-da, right? And so we just need to get on the same page. So listen to this. An awakening, when you, we have been in a period of spiritual slumber, 
And by that I mean when the momentum has been taken out or sucked out of the spiritual community that we call the church. A couple of things begin to happen before God can move in again and awaken us. One of the things that happens is this. There is a holy discontent with the status quo. And by that I mean you just are not happy with the way things are. If you think right now in this moment that the church in America is healthy and growing and powerful, you are mistaken. And if that doesn't bother you, maybe you are asleep and need to be awoken. When you begin to have a discontent, frustration, right? And even anger at the state of the church or even your own personal state, then you are now marching towards a great awakening. Everybody follow me? Listen, if right now you are happy with where you are in terms of how you know Jesus and your relationship with him and what you know about him, if you're comfortable right now, I just want to give you a warning that you might actually be dead and in need of resurrection. All right? Don't worry, Jesus raises the dead. Amen. But listen, listen to this. When injustice begins to rub you the wrong way, or the right way in this case, right? When, when decay, moral decay, becomes repulsive to you. When we begin to identify with the suffering of people that are marginalized, when that begins to bother you, you're ready for a great awakening. Amen. You see, we need to get out of the Pentecostal mindset that a great awakening begins and stops at a spiritual experience that has nothing to do with the people that are outside the four walls of the church. In fact, the hallmark of a great awakening is that we become spiritually awake to the extent that the way we live our lives becomes so attractive to those that are out far away from Jesus that they begin to want what you have. Amen. Right? Okay. That frustration must get you to begin to pray. Right? Not take to Facebook and start ranting. Amen? Been there, done that, got a dozen t-shirts to prove it. Do you know how many times I write a Facebook post and I delete it? Because people get on my nerves. I'm like, oh my gosh, wake up, hello, what are you doing? Mm -mm 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 -mm. I'm about to press send. And like, Forget about it. Usually when a Facebook post hits my timeline, I've thought about it. And I know what it's going to do to people. And it's deliberate. And I want it that way. Right? But listen, 
If all you're doing is posting to Facebook and not praying about the things that are bothering you, then all you're doing is ranting. If it's not driving you to your knees, if it is not driving you to the point of saying, Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, change the way the world is. If it is not driving you to that point, then you're still asleep. Because when we begin to pray, we begin to capture again the heart of God for the lost. And when we begin to pray, we begin to see how far we have fallen from God's standards. And we begin to repent. God, forgive me. I have missed the mark so many times. I'm not as good as I think I am. If these things don't bother me, what is wrong with me? You know how you kill a frog? Put it in cold water, put the, the pot on fire. And let that water heat up slowly. What happens? The frog begins to adjust to the temperature of the water. And before it, it knows it, it has boiled from the inside out. And most of us are sitting frogs. The pot is on fire. And we are slowly adjusting to the temperature around us and we are dying on the inside. Amen. And we don't see how far we have fallen from God's standard. And therefore we justify everything that is happening in our lives and the way we are living and acting because that is easier than to live the way God wants you to live. Amen. That is not attractive to people that are far from God. Repentance leads us to realign our hearts with God's heart. Amen? Amen. All right. In Matthew, Jesus says some very, very important things. And believe it or not, this is a starting point, a very good starting point when we talk about a great awakening. He says a few things in here. First of all, he says, and I'll take it from verse 22, 28, I'm sorry. It says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he? He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Then Jesus says this important word. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Watch. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. And in fact, the interesting part is that he, he begins this whole passage by saying you cannot serve two masters. Right? He says, for you will hate one or the other. You will be devoted to one or, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And then he goes into this litany of things that we worry about. Do you want to know if you're serving money? If Jesus is not actually Lord of your life, 
Ask yourself this question. How often do I worry about the things that I call needs? How often do I worry about my finances? How often do I worry about what my kids are going to wear and all these things? Kind of an odd place to start, isn't it? Given what I have just said about the state of the church. But listen to me. We have been missing the mark when it comes to what Jesus prioritizes. And if we're going to have a great awakening, it has to start from what he puts first. And in verse 31, he gives us, he says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and you will have everything that you need. And the implication is this, everything we pursue and strive for in order to survive is found in the kingdom of God. Ignoring this principle produces stress, frustrations, and unnecessary hardships. Number one, seek the kingdom of God. And in, in Luke 4, 20, 42, Jesus said, listen, this is why I came to tell you about the kingdom of God. So for the next couple of weeks, I really want us to drill down into what does it mean when Jesus says the kingdom of God. Because he says, this is why I came. I did not come so that you can have beautiful buildings and meet on Sundays and have beautiful music. Right? No, he says, I came so that my kingdom would be established on earth as it is in heaven. When we miss that mark, we go into spiritual slumber, okay? So I wanted us to quickly, we're going to tie this in a nice bow, but today is just an introduction. Stay with me, all right? What is priority? Priority number one means this, above all others, right? That is the first thing. When you say this is a priority, above all others. So Jesus is saying, above all else, seek my kingdom, pursue my kingdom, study, learn, apply what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, above all else, of highest value, of highest value. It is a priority to Jesus. It should be the primary focus. Are you hearing me? So in other words, when we do other things that are not part of the kingdom of God, we are missing the mark. You hear me? Oh, this is going to get very interesting in a minute. Because we have to deal with the concept of what is, what is the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The word kingdom comes from, well, there's a Greek word, basilia, and the other word is Hebrew, it's called mamlaka, but it is, these two words mean the same thing. The first thing is this, dominion. Seek the kingdom first. Seek dominion first. It means sovereign rule. 
It means to reign. It means royal power. How many realize here that Jesus is using political language? Does that occur to anybody? Dominion, reign, royal power. You see, Jesus was not just killed because he preached such a nice, fuzzy, spiritual message that it made everybody just feel, oh my gosh, this is so bad, we ought to kill him. No. The reason Jesus was killed and the reason the, the Pharisees and the religious order conspired with the Roman government to kill Jesus is because his message was so revolutionary. It's like somebody coming into the United States today and saying, I am the president of these United States. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, no, we have electoral college, we, we voted, and this is our president. No, I am. And guess what? When he says it by himself, he's not a threat. But when people begin to believe, this guy might actually be the president. Oh my, I like the way he does things. I like the way he's doing. You know what? We start organizing, right? And now he has a group of people. He's on Twitter. Hashtag follow Jesus. At follow Jesus, right? Facebook like, right? And everybody begins, and all of a sudden, millions of people begin to follow him. How many realize that the political establishment of the land now has to take notice? And this person has to be dealt with. So when Jesus says these words, these are not nice, fuzzy, spiritual words. Oh, let's hang off chandeliers and let us do some spiritual gymnastics. No, he is talking like a revolutionary. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why the Pharisees have problems with Jesus when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. They have problems when he says, listen, when one slaps you, you give them the other cheek. Right? They have a problem with the teachings of Jesus. Not because they are nice and fuzzy, but because they are revolutionary in and of themselves. I want you to read this prophecy of Jesus with me. Follow me for a second, okay? I told you I'm going to say some things that are going to make you uncomfortable, and I'm fine with it, okay? So here we go. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. This is what the Bible says. This is talking about Jesus. We like quoting this at Christmas time, but we never take the moments to read it. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace his government and his peace will never end he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor david for all eternity the passionate commitment of the lord's heaven's armies will make this happen. Did you hear that? Government 
rule armies. Jesus? I don't see it, right? Listen, this is why when Herald, when the Magi come to Herald, the first question they ask is, where is it, where is the person, where is the baby that is born king of the Jews? What threatens him is not that this boy was born of divine way. Immaculate conduct, right? Virgin birth. That is not what bothers him. What bothers him are the words king of the Jews. Because he realizes if there's a king, he is a threat to my authority. Do you hear what I'm saying? So he says, come back and tell me where this king is so that I may go and worship him. But they are wise and don't go back to him because they knew that he would send soldiers to kill Jesus. And so Herod devises a plan. I will kill all the male babies. And he did. Why? Not to stop a fuzzy savior. No, but to stop a king. Do you understand what I'm saying? What Jesus is saying is huge here, people. That's why he is killed. He's not killed for any other reason other than that he poses a threat to the political establishment and the religious establishment of his day. And he is saying, I'm here to rescue my people and give to them what God gave to them in the beginning. Dominion, rule, for them to reign, royal power. When that happens... Jesus is all of a sudden now in the crosshairs. Here's what Jesus is not doing. And here's the trouble, the trap we have fallen into. Jesus and his mission are very political. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, this is yes, this is no. Walk with me. Okay? Very, you hear that, Elizabeth? Very political. But what Jesus does not do is become partisan. Did you notice that? When the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, Jesus, who should we pay taxes to? What does Jesus say? Who is, whose head is on the money? They say, Caesar. There, there you go. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. What is he doing? He is affirming a political system without taking sides. Do you hear what I'm saying? Why? Because he understands government. Believe me when I tell you that we have missed the mark. Okay? So here we go. You see, the problem with us as believers is we divide ourselves according to the system of the world. You follow me? Believe me, I tie this all in a nice bow and it will make sense in a second. Partisan, political partisanship is our alignment of allegiances to one party, right? 
my parents were Democrats, so I was born a Democrat, and I'll die a Democrat in Jesus' name. Amen. No, me, I'm a Republican. I was born a Republican. In fact, when, we, when I was born, America the Beautiful was sung. Believe me. Right? I am Republican through and through. Praise Jesus. Glory. Hallelujah. And then you have the people that are, no, I'm an independent. I don't like all this political bickering back and forth. What are we doing? We're taking sides. And what we do is drag those political opinions and mask them in religiosity and sell them to the world as the will of God. What I'm advocating for is for us to realign ourselves with the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad you came to teach today, Roger? Yeah. <laughs> He's going to have questions for me afterwards. Praise God. You see, because polit political partisanship is divisive by nature, and it is killing us as the church. When we look at, and I, when Jesus says these things about the kingdom, and he says a myriad of things, understand he is saying a couple of things. According to Jesus, when he is not, when he is being political, no partisanship, what he means is this. He, we must recognize an authority, right? We must claim a citizenship. You follow me? And we must claim a set of values that we live by. Here's another thing. When Jesus says, I will build my church, what do you think the word church means? Huh? Okay, us, somebody. But the word that he uses, it's ecclesia. Does anybody know what that means? The, that word he actually got from the Roman political language. Ecclesia actually means a governing body. So when Jesus says, I will build my governing body and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and the polit politicians of his day and the religious order of his day hear that? They don't hear all people holding hands and singing kumbaya. That is not what they hear. They hear this guy is going to get us in trouble. This guy is a revolutionary. Kill him. Kill him. I will build my church. Ecclesia. Right? And he says, my church has to recognize an authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. Therefore, go out. Preach the gospel to every creature. What is he saying? You have to recognize me as the authority. Do you hear that? Listen, you cannot be a Jesus follower unless you have surrendered your heart and life to him wholeheartedly. 
you cannot be a partial follower of Jesus. That means you recognize his authority over your life. That means his will becomes your will. His desires becomes your desires. And though you want to act a certain way or react a certain way towards people, you don't do it because your higher authority says that is not the way I do things. Do you hear me? And then we have to claim citizenship. The Bible tells us in Philippians 3.12 that we are citizens of heaven. We are temporarily here on earth passing through. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I've got a home somewhere beyond the blue. Where did they get that from? You're sit- I'm sorry. The moment you became a follower of Jesus, you gave up your American citizenship just in case you didn't know that. Right. Hallelujah. Hello. Some of you are like, no, I'm going to die in America. Yeah. That's Okay. But being an American ain't going to get you into heaven. The only citizenship and passport heaven recognizes is not the Star Spangled Banner. I'm sorry. It's not our American passport. I'm sorry. It is the blood of Christ Jesus upon your life. When he sees that, you're in. That's just the way it is. Right? Do Do you understand this? And then we have to live by a certain set of values, people. We, the church, have to live by a certain set of values. We cannot live like the world lives. We just can't. Why? Because we are part of the kingdom of God. Our value system is different. So Jesus says, hey, you want to be great? Be a servant of all. And in fact, that word servant is slave. Be a slave of all. You want to be first? You must be last. That is a whole different set of values. Jesus said this. When the, the religious order of his day and he, the Old Testament said this. If you sleep with a woman outside of marriage, you've committed adultery. Amen. That's what they live by. Jesus says, no. If you look at a woman, lastly, you've already slept with her. Amen. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. There are going to be a lot of ads Brothers, <laughs> right? Mm-mm. Some of us be looking, looking. Jesus says, This is a set of values. Jesus raised the stakes, people. If you even look at her in a lustful way, you've already slept with her, you better repent. I always tell you, Victoria's Secret was not meant for women. It was meant for men. They don't market to women. They don't. They market to men. Hello. Tonight, they'll be selling beer and cars. 
and they'll be scantily dressed women selling those things to you. Why? Because they know you just can't. You'll be staring. But we have a different set of values, people. Do you hear what I'm saying? That is the kingdom of God. And when we begin to live according to the values of the kingdom of God, we begin to change the world. Amen. 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 Woo. Listen, I got to tell you a story. Yeah. I'll conclude with this. I didn't even get into righteousness, but listen, we'll, we'll start from there. This week, the big thing last week, by the way, was the immigration ban. Right? Everybody remembers that? And people are going livid about it. This is my America. Nobody comes in here. And then you have people protesting at the airport. This is what America looks like. Oh my God. Blah, blah, blah. Build the wall. Build the wall. I'm like, okay. That's good. Yeah. Where do God's children fall on that? Right? It's great. I'm all for security, by the way. I'm all for that. I want to be safe. I don't want to be in a country where my head is taken off. I like my head the way it is. Yeah. Where it's at. <laughs> All right. I like that. Okay. I like to keep my head. That's great. Now, I want you to watch this. On the inside, most of us probably agree with that. We want to be safe. Right? And we don't exactly know these people who are coming in. Hmm. We better protect ourselves. That's great. Earth says you can do that. My question to you as a child of God is where does God fall on that? Right? Oh, no, no, Campbell, Jesus. You know, what did Jesus say? <clears throat> Love your neighbor as yourself. Go ahead, buddy. Maybe another way to look at that is <clears throat> rather than becoming safe by becoming smaller, we become safe by becoming larger. There you go. More interrelated with others, more understanding. That is a, that is a kingdom principle, right? right? But listen, the thing that drives our rhetoric is fear. Mm-hmm. Do you know that I had two conversations with people at work. A guy asks me, an African-American gentleman asks me, he says, Campbell, where do you live? I said, I live up in Hankins. He's like, dude, what are you doing up there? I'm like, what do you mean, what are you doing up there? Ain't you the only black guy up there? Man, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) I'm like, actually, the people up there are very nice people. (laughs) Right? This guy lives in Manicello. I'm like, dude, it's a half hour from you and you've never been up there and you think everybody racist? Right? Now there's some of you that won't go into Manicello because Manicello is a ghetto. <laughs> now that you've been there, you don't even know the people that live there, but you won't go there. Why? Fear is driving you. So for me, when I began to pray, and I love what our pastor, the head of the Assemblies of God said. 
And he said this, he said, listen, when it comes, he released a statement concerning the ban. And he released a statement saying, first of all, we do support legal immigration. Please come to the United States the right way. Especially if you call yourself a Christian, you better come to the United States the right way, right? Secondly, he told a story, he said, last week, I went to my grandson's church. And they were baptizing a Muslim family that day. Now, the, how the Muslim family came to church was the interesting part. His grandson actually befriended one of the, the Muslim family kids and invited him to church. He'd never been around Christians. He'd never heard the gospel of Jesus, and he started coming. His parents are like, these people must be, hmm, okay. So when the parents were invited to church, guess what? They came to church. They attended that church for over a year. Finally, they surrendered their lives to Jesus. Hallelujah. And they were being baptized that day. And you know what he said when he was asked? When they were baptizing him, do you have anything to say? He said, please, pray for my brothers in the Middle East. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus. That kid embodied the kingdom of God. Amen. We are praying for nations to be saved. But we are the number one people to stop nations from coming to us. Amen. Let them come. They will hear the gospel of Jesus, be saved, and will send them back to where they have come from. And they're going to take the message of Jesus there too. And they too will become our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. That is the kingdom of God. And I have just said some things that bother you. And if you're bothered, then here's the thing. You are partisan, not political. The kingdom of God and its values are not your values. Mm -hmm. And that, my friend, means that you are in spiritual slumber and you need an awakening. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm open for debate. Mm -hmm. Amen? But listen, and this is an unorthodox way of approaching a great awakening, and I understand. Because most of the time when we hear about great awakening, you're going to hear about prayer, you're going to hear about fasting, and we're going to bombard heaven with our prayers, and heaven is going to come down. But then what next? What next? Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. The biggest education providers in the continent of Africa are the church. In fact, for a very long time, the biggest providers of education in this land were the church. The biggest providers of health care in the world, the church. Poverty alleviation. Who is in the forefront? The church. The kingdom of God goes everywhere. It changes cultures. It calls people to a different set of values. Amen? And my friend, I don't know where you stand when it comes to that. 
I've done a lot of repenting the last year, and you better just join the bandwagon. <laughs> All right? I've been just, God, you know when God slaps you, he slaps hard. He's not gentle sometimes, you know. He smacks you, and, you know, and that's okay, because he wants you to change. Okay. And I want God to change me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <sighs> Jesus. You're called the Lion of Judah, but we, we, we don't see you that way sometimes. We want to defang you and so that you, be, you become just some, some gentle lion. We will do that no more, God. We call you king of our lives, yet day and night... We choose to stay on the throne of our hearts by the choices we make. We have not submitted to your authority. We have not submitted to the authority of just even the people that you have placed around us. Brothers and sisters that speak into our lives. We don't recognize you working in and through them. God, we, we ask that you forgive us. God, forgive us for subscribing to a different set of values that is not your kingdom. We're sorry, God. Forgive us. And Jesus, we pray that as we go through this series and as we closely look at the Gospels and what you say, I pray that God we will come with minds that are ready to learn and hearts that are tender enough to allow you to change us from the inside out. And I pray, God, that you disturb each one of us. I pray that, God, we may not be comfortable with the things that have been said today. But I also pray that, God, we may not just be angry at the things that have been said today. But that, God, we will go down to our knees. We will begin to open the scriptures and search them to see what you exactly say. So that we can become the church, the beacon of hope that you have created us to be in this community. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody say it, amen, amen. and amen. amen.